Well, good evening. We're thankful for the good crowd tonight and for your attendance and the opportunity to study together. If you've got your Bibles tonight with you, you can be looking at the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be taking a look at the book of 1 Peter and actually part of 2 Peter tonight. And we are thankful that you are here. We've had a good day, good morning. We had a really good lunch um, for our widows and widowers. We appreciate so much all who had a part in that, especially a lot of folks, a lot of ladies that were cooking behind the scenes to, to make sure that we had enough food for everyone and our young people for serving. We just appreciate all who had a hand in that. Uh, I think we had uh, 16 that stayed and ate with us. And so we just uh, certainly appreciate the good food, but the opportunity to encourage one another with that. Tonight we're going to talk for a few moments about some verses from 1st and 2nd Peter. And really out of the five or so points, there's only one in which in the text Peter doesn't use the word precious. Now I don't know if you're in favor of alliteration or not. Uh, I knew a preacher one time who did it almost every service every Sunday. And at that point, you know, okay, we can take a break from that every once in a while. Um, but he does, he uses the word precious several times to describe some things here. And many of you know, I know many of you quite well by now, when we think about the history of the Bible, you know, God did not deliver the Bible with uh, chapters and verses necessarily per se to each writer. So when we look at the Bible in front of us and things are broken down in certain ways, whether or not the translators might have done it in a particular fashion or not, maybe grouping a section together, uh, is interesting to consider, especially sometimes when it plays out into maybe a particular pattern. Uh, I heard a lesson at Posh in the Pulpit this year that I'd like to share with you, maybe, uh, God willing, next year at some point, about the plan of salvation. What we oftentimes call the plan of salvation, the five points of the plan of salvation, and how you kind of see each one played out or mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then over to being baptized in Acts chapter 2. It's very interesting. I never thought about it that way. And so when I was looking at this, and, and this was an outline that was shared with me as well, but the way that Peter mentions several precious things here. Let's consider, first of all, for just a moment, of course, to set the stage, the idea of precious what that means to you. Maybe you think of something in particular. Maybe you think of someone. Of course, the, the simple dictionary definition of precious is of value or great value. We think often about jewels or maybe precious metal, uh, things that are valuable, things that are important. Something or someone like a friend who is highly esteemed or cherished. We might call those people, those things, precious. Maybe many of you recall from, I think, the late 70s is when it was started on into the 90s or so. There were the little figurines, precious moments, um, the little angelic kind of figurines. I mean, people bought those and collected them or gave them as gifts. We sing the song Precious Memories. That's one of those that really strikes a chord with a lot of us in our heart because maybe there's someone or something that we think of in the history of our family uh, in particular, that song, Precious Memories, many of us think, of course, of just the history of, of our family and the, the church and maybe the, how they're interconnected. That's a song that we might call an old standard, an old favorite that maybe you heard when you were a child in the services of the church and so uh, the worship services. So we think about Precious Memories. Uh, maybe you're like our family. Sometimes when those kids are not being so nice, you say, oh, they're so precious, and you don't really mean it when you say it that way because uh, they're being a little facetious. They're maybe they're being a little difficult, but we say they're being precious. But we understand the fact that sometimes there are things that are of great value to us. And Peter gives us a few of those tonight. 
So if you'll pardon us here as we look at a few of these things with some alliteration. First of all, tonight, very simply, Christ's blood is precious. What I've got is an outline that I've used before with three things about Christ. But when I got to taking a look at 2 Peter, I added two on the end for us tonight. So the first three have to do with Christ in particular. First of all, in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, we see Christ's precious blood. And again, it says it there. We might go back into verse 17 to grab the entire section. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here and in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but, in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. Now, I think we may see this a couple of times here, but Peter continues to point out the idea of corruptible and incorruptible. You see, those things to, on this earth that are precious to us are corruptible. I kind of had a, a hard lesson on that over the last few weeks. We've been still moving a few things into our house there as we were trading houses with my in-laws. And, and we, we had to go get some things out of storage. And so I found all these great things that meant so much to me when I was in high school that Hannah says, why do you still have that? You know, why did you keep that? Well, it was precious to me as a memory at one time or another. And I've had to say, well, maybe now there's just not room for it. And I, I've got to get rid of it. Those things were precious. They were valuable, whether it was a trophy. Or, or a medal or something, a card that someone gave me. They were valuable, but they were corruptible, and some of them were actually corroding and corrupting, you know, by they've been sitting in storage for so long. And when we compare that, on the other hand, with the incorruptible, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, it is. And so we sing sometimes. This lesson has some songs mentioned in it, and we've sung a few tonight. We're going to sing one here in just a few moments together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's that precious blood that does that. We're going to come back to 1 Peter, but turn over to Hebrews chapter 9 for just a moment. Because the Hebrew writer gives us more than that when he talks about the blood. In Hebrews 9, in verses 15 through 17, we're familiar with verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. There must be a death. So that it would have power. Look over in verse number 22. Without shedding of blood there is no remission. And then you go forward even to chapter 10 of Hebrews in verse number 4. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. We think about the words of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 26 in verse number 28. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. It is Christ's blood that is precious. It causes us to sing those kinds of songs as we'll do in just a few moments. That is where the power is. That is what can take away our sin. And so I think it's interesting as Peter is writing this letter here that he mentions that to these folks. He talks about corruptible. He even uses the word there in verse 18 of aimless conduct. The things of this world are sometimes important to us. But none of it is as precious as the precious blood of Christ. Number two tonight, Christ's book is precious. Now, this is the one, although I think the word 
uh, is used here in a general sense. But 1 Peter chapter 1, down in verses 22 through 25, the word precious is not used here. And I would mention, I meant to say this at the beginning, but depending on the version you're looking at, you might not see it. But I think many of them do have uh, the word precious used in these passages we're looking at. But in 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible, carrying it forward, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And he talks about those things there that pass away, the things that wither away. It is Christ's book, the word of God, that is precious. And so sometimes we sing, how precious is the book divine by inspiration give. We've talked a lot the last few Wednesday nights in our Bible class here in the auditorium about our worship, paying attention to the songs that we sing, more to the words than simply to the melody at times. When we sing that, do we really mean it? Is it something that is precious to us? Uh, you know, I heard a preacher say even recently, and he talked about things, called, we call them scruples sometimes, Christian scruples. He said he won't put the Bible on the ground, and he won't put something on top of the Bible. Now, he, you know, kind of deferred there and said, I realize I'm not trying to bind that on anyone and say, you're sinning if you set your Bible on the floor. But it was an interesting thought to consider how many times we will treat the Word of God Flippantly. Now, I understand that what we do with the paper and whether it's torn or falls apart, it's just paper, but it is the Word of God as well. How do we treat it in our lives? We go back through the history of time, we see people saying the same thing. I found a quote, in, interestingly enough, from Ulysses S. Grant. He said, Hold fast to the Bible as the sheet anchor of your liberties. Write its precepts in your hearts and practice them in your lives. Sound like it could be a psalm or proverb if you're not careful. But it's at least attributed the way I read it to Ulysses S. Grant. Folks recognizing the importance of, yes, more than just paper and things that can fall apart, but writing the word of God on our heart. It is important and it is precious. A couple of parallel passages, again from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. The Hebrew writer again with encouragement says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do we really treat it that way? Yes, many folks treat it as something they sit on the ground or on the shelf and it stays there and it collects dust, but do we treat it as something that can change our lives? One other passage under this point, John chapter 6. This is not discussing the word of God so much, but about the words of Christ, the words that we live by, the principle, John chapter 6 and verses 60 through 71. I've shared with you before how much I love this particular passage when many of Jesus' disciples turn away. They turn away from him. They walk away from him. And of course, as he asked the 12, are you going to go as well? And Peter's words there in verse number 68, to whom shall we go, thou or you have the words of eternal life? It is the words of Christ of course, they're often in red for us many times in our Bible that we can, they stand out for us, that we can read them. But do we treat them that way? Millions and millions of dollars spent every year on self-help books. And some of them can help us with various things, especially with our health and our relationships. God's word gives us what we need to know and how we can apply it sometimes. It's hard, but it's something we can do.
Christ has a precious book, and we are thankful for that. Number three tonight, Christ's building is precious. Again, going back to the book of 1 Peter. This time, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 4 through 8. 1 Peter 2 and verses 4 through 8. Peter says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, and here's our word precious, although it's using, uh, being used here to describe him, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him, the precious one, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now, while you're there going on down and finishing verse eight, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But in verses nine and 10, drawing the contrast, but in regards to those who would stumble, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. The building of Christ is precious. The church of Christ, the people that we are able to be a part of. He gave his life, he shed his blood, and what better way to try to help us see that than for Peter here by inspiration to give us these encouraging descriptions. Now, the idea of a priest does not mean so much to us as maybe it did to those who were Jews, but a holy nation, we all want to be chosen. We all want to be special. We all want to be somebody. And in verse number 10, he talks about being not a people, but are now a people, a somebody. You belong to someone when you belong to Christ and not just anyone, but the precious one, as Peter says here. And so sometimes we sing, as we did just a moment ago, and as always appreciate Brian and our song leaders leading songs that go along with the lesson, but we sing. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. That's what the foundation is built upon. That's the chief cornerstone, the precious one. And it goes above and beyond you and me. We, we kind of joked a bit in the lesson this morning, and I, I talked about it, and, and I think Lance Ritchie told me he was going to have to get rid of his Joelite shirts from after the lesson this morning, uh, you know, but we, we joke about it, but that there's so much comfort in knowing who we're built upon and who the church is built upon. It's not any man. How many times do you turn on the news and see them talking about some priest or, you know, some Catholic guy who, or someone who, who's now been caught up in a scandal? Because whenever we put our trust in men, invariably, they oftentimes let us down. Even the best of folks that we know make mistakes and we get disappointed because we're built upon the wrong foundation when we build there. Even Paul, in all of his glory and all his goodness and what he was, was going to probably mess up sooner or later. He, he did. He, he was a man. He was human. But to know that we're built upon Christ is truly precious. Another passage in connection, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 in verses 22 and 23 as we said this morning, in a sense, what better way could the message be 
sent forth. What better way could it be described than for Paul to write by inspiration to describe the connection of marriage? For us to understand that. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And of course, that whole passage there, we're not talking about that tonight in marriage, but but the idea that the husband then loves the wife as Christ loved the church is a powerful, powerful image that if we would practice And the world would practice. We would see, hopefully, marriages improve. But Paul knew he could use this. He could describe the the idea of Christ and the church in this fashion. And we can understand even almost 2,000 or 2,000 or so years later that the building of Christ is precious. I saw one preacher or writer say it this way. It is blood-bought. It is rock-bottomed, not at the rock-bottom, but founded on the rock, blood-bought, rock-bottomed, Christ-built, and hell-proof. The Church of Christ is a great and wonderful thing because it is His precious building. Let's move for just a moment to 2 Peter. And as I said, this was kind of in addition to the original sermon I had done a few years ago on the passages from 1 Peter. But you continue just to see this word. He continues to talk about things that are valuable. Not only Christ's blood, his book, and his building, again with the the alliteration, but we see here in 2 Peter 1.1, our precious faith. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. If you're not careful, I find it interesting uh, when I was studying, like precious faith is one of those things that you're not sure if it's in the Bible or not, you know, kind of like God guard and direct us, you know, or the preacher's supposed to have a ready recollection, ready recollection of those things he studied. You know, we hear those in prayers. We think, well, that's in scripture somewhere, right? Well, many of them aren't sometimes and that's okay, but it does. The Bible says a like precious faith. It is one of those things that we can, can kind of spit out from time to time, just naturally. We've heard it a lot, many of our lives. But, but Peter emphasizes it here. And in this context of precious things, I think it's important that we take note for just a few moments. That we do share a like precious faith. So again, in connection with our song, sometimes we sing it as a common love. Something that goes beyond. Sometimes we sing it as there is a tie that binds. There's more to it. There is a depth to what connects us here. I couldn't help but think about that even last night as many of you had been to our home and and had left and uh, we had such a good time together. And I thought, you know, it doesn't matter where we meet. It doesn't matter if it's our house or here. It's about getting the people together. I've heard Bill say it numerous times. It's about us, the body here, being together. And so we can do it anywhere. As long as we're encouraging one another because it goes beyond that. We can sit, we can talk about the weather, we can talk about sports and politics, and that's fine. And we even do that here sometimes. But to know that it goes deeper than that. That as you leave, I want and want to pray for you to have a safe trip because I care for you and for your soul and for who you are and your family and all of that. Our precious faith connects us. It does bind us. We see that carried out, of course, in the book of Acts. I don't know if you're jotting things down here. I'll give you several very quickly. But Acts 2 is 1, Acts 2, 42. 
Uh, of course, there right after Acts 2.38 and those that are baptized there, Acts 2.42, Acts 2.46 and 47, talking about them coming together daily with one accord, breaking bread from house to house. What about Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37? They're talking about them sharing in all things. They have all things in common. And in verse number 33, with great power. The apostles then are able to give witness to the resurrection. And they're able to distribute and help one another out. We keep going. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 31. There, uh, as we've talked about Saul and we begin, become, began to be introduced to him, we know that from Saul's persecution in Acts 9.31, the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they're described as having peace. What does that come from? It comes from a common love. It comes from our precious faith. And it all leads up to me to even Acts chapter 17. Do you recall there in Acts chapter 17 and verses 5 through 9, the assault on Jason's house? And we don't get much detail there, except for that they, they do come in, they do sort of assault them and, and want to destroy their things because who are they looking for? They're looking for those who are described in verse number 6 as having turned the world upside down these people what's it what is it that connects them well they're turning the world upside down but they're doing so for their like precious faith and as we sometimes talk about even in our world today you could probably look at many of them and just tell and you could just see it's not a mark on the forehead it's not necessarily long hair or a beard or any type of clothing but you could probably just tell from these people and their connection that they had a like precious faith and they were willing to share that with one another. It goes beyond our, our sports. It goes beyond the, the politics and the things that we sometimes share in common. But it is a precious faith that unites us. And I love how Peter begins there describing that in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1. And then finally tonight, we have precious promises. We know 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3 because it is there that it talks about the idea that we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now I'll be the first one to stand here and admit that, that from time to time it's easy to quote that and use that and not go to the further amount of the context even as I was preaching on sort of this morning. But he says that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, Peter says it again, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The corruption, the depravity, these things that drag us down. The corruptible. We're wanting to take it off. We're wanting to put on incorruption. We do that in Christ. But we are thankful for his exceedingly great and precious promises. When I think about this congregation here and, and how you've shared your lives with, with me and with us and how many of you say from time to time, I'm just blessed. I've been very fortunate. I'm blessed by a great family, a great group of people that love me and care for me. It's God's exceedingly great and precious promises that will continue to bless us if we will continue to follow after him. We serve a God who offers those things to us that James says in James chapter 1 and verse number 17. There is no variation 
or shadow of turning. Again, that's what we're built upon. Not any man, not any person that can come up with anything, but with the God of heaven, the Father of lights, James says there in James 1, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Can you imagine having someone like that in your life? Because if we're all honest, we have people that we love. Our spouses are near and dear to us, but they still sometimes let us down. Folks that we care dearly about. People who have not let us down for years. And we hear something and we're like, well, that wouldn't be them. That's not true. You find out maybe it is because we're all human. But we serve a God who has no variation or shadow of turning. So sometimes we again sing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Brian has even said for us today, you know, kind of sing it like you mean it. Kind of sing it with some feeling. Do we understand what that means? Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. There is a confidence. There is a hope that goes beyond anything we can have here upon this earth. Think about what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Hebrew writer quoting from Deuteronomy. Hebrews 13, 5 there. I will never leave you nor forsake forsake you what does that mean what what comfort does that give us and when God makes that promise he's going to stand by it and we can stand upon it as we sometimes say in this life that we stand upon the shoulders of those who have gone before us these great spiritual giants we can stand upon the foundation and the promises of God and of course maybe most important to us John chapter 14 and verses 1 through 4 when Jesus says I go and prepare a place And if I go, I will come again and receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. That promise is precious. That promise is sure. And as we think about going home tonight and going into the rest of the week, the work week or whatever it is that is in front of you, these are the kind of precious points, the precious promises that we can take peace and comfort in there's a lot of noise in the world. We say that sometimes. If you got your television on, if you're listening to the radio, you've got all these things filling your head, there's a lot of noise around us. It helps us sometimes to get back to what is precious. We're certainly coming into a season, a time of the year where with Thanksgiving, hopefully we are giving thanks unto God, but even with Christmas, as we are with our family and we're giving gifts and those types of things, that we focus on what is important. Christ is important, his promises, his book, his building, and of course his blood. It is that blood, of course, that washes away our sins. And as Peter continued to talk about it being precious, I hope that you will consider it even in the next few moments here as we are about to sing this song of invitation. It is his blood that allows us to have the forgiveness or remission of sins. And we're thankful for that opportunity to be added to his precious building the church. We see such great and wonderful things happen when we share with those of a like precious faith. But maybe you're here tonight and you've done that, but you stand in need of God's second law of pardon. We're thankful, so thankful for the example that we saw this morning of someone who said, I need to pray to God for forgiveness and confess sins. And one of the things that maybe we need to add to our slide is the opportunity that we have to pray with and for one another, that we can continue to live faithfully. Maybe you stand in need tonight of coming back to him or coming to him for the first time. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.